All right, once again, we are in Acts chapter 17, and let me call your attention to verse number 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Late last week, when it seemed clear enough that the guidelines for social distancing were going to be uh, continued, uh, it, it became clear enough to me that we would need to make some further effort this week to reach out to you folks and try to do something more than what we've done uh, so far with our website. If you're thinking about the fact that today is Palm Sunday, uh, I commend you for that. I hope you will uh, consider listening to some of the audio messages that I placed there from an Easter series that I did several years ago. I think you might find those messages interesting. But in the end, I was forced to come back to the verse that the Lord laid on my heart and spoke to me about, and that's verse number 11, with this question in mind. What is it to be a good Berean? You know, you have to think about the fact that years ago when Luke was recording this, of course he was being led by the Holy Spirit, but when he gave this description of the of the Jews at Berea and called them more noble than those in Thessalonica, he would have no way to know that down through the years, so many New Testament assemblies would find this verse and the qualities that it talks about so appealing that they would actually name their churches after it. And of course, Berean Bible Fellowship is a perfect example of that. The name of the church comes from Acts 17 and verse 11. When you put that with the fact that the coronavirus has had such a dramatic impact on so many lifestyles, with many states having stay-at-home orders. In Pennsylvania, we have a number of counties with that. And, of course, uh, we have uh, many of the uh, workplaces and businesses being closed, only the essential uh, businesses being open. You have to ask yourself, what is God's intent? What is it that he is speaking to us about? What does he want to do in this to get our attention? And so I thought about, what is it to be a good Berean? And what am I doing with the extra time, perhaps, that God has given to me? So when I look at the verse, I find at least three characteristics. And the first one that I'd like to call your attention to is the fact that being a good Berean involves being eager. Now, of course, you have to realize as we get into this that the whole thing in verse number 11 has to do with a comparison. Luke is noting the great difference that Paul encountered in the Jews at Berea, when he entered the synagogue to speak, than what he encountered in Thessalonica. See, when Paul went to Thessalonica, and this occurs uh, in the verses that we did not read, it was a totally different mindset when he began to preach. Their attitude towards the scriptures was totally different. If you look down in your Bible at verse number 11, you'll certainly see that. We see here's a, a group of people who were blinded by pride and who were controlled by envy. Look at verse 5, it says, but the Jews which believed not. What's that tell you? So when Paul came there, they weren't particularly impressed, even though he opened the scriptures. You find a reference to that in verse number 2. It says that Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned to them out of the scriptures. And so Paul was a Bible preacher, and his whole message was taken from the Old Testament scriptures, but these Jews in Thessalonica, they were they were not impressed by that. Uh, they were basically stuck in their ways. They were closed-minded. They didn't think they needed to listen, and there was overall just a general lack of re- receptivity and openness to the message that Paul brought. 
Then, of course, if that's not bad enough, the verse goes on to tell us that they were controlled by envy. In other words, when they saw that Paul met with some success in that place, that some people were saved, then these established Jews there didn't like that, and they basically gathered together a number of people that were rabble-rousers. They were basically from the rabble, and the whole city was set on an uproar, and the people who did come to believe in Christ there, the brethren, had to hustle Paul away, at which point then he traveled some 45 miles to the southwest to uh, go to the uh, Jewish synagogue that was at Berea. It was a totally different attitude that he encountered in Thessalonica. Close-minded people, people who didn't really feel like they had anything to learn. And I think that that's oftentimes a stumbling block to people today. They think they know it all, and they don't really go to the Bible, go to the, their church services with any degree of enthusiasm. Maybe they go out of duty, or they go for some other reason. But when Paul got to Berea, he encountered a totally different attitude. Here were people whom the Bible says received the word with all readiness of mind. So let's look at some of these words, because I think you'll see how I get the idea of people who were eager, people who were really enthusiastic about the message that Paul had to bring. First of all, if you look at the word receive, that's an interesting word. There are several ideas that come from this, and of course, what I'm driving at in particular now is the fact that the original language actually has two very common words that can be translated either to receive or to take. One of the words would be, if take this for example, if someone were to pass you a plate of food at the dinner table and you take a portion, that's to receive in the sense of taking something. But the other word, which happens to be the word that's used in this verse, is to receive in the sense of welcoming something. Now I can illustrate this for you as well. For instance, when we receive people into our church, uh, we receive them into the fellowship of the church and offer them the right hand of fellowship. Well, what are we doing? We're welcoming them into the church. So the fact that the Spirit of God leads Luke to use this particular word, not take in the sense of, an, of, of just something off of a plate or something of that nature, but to welcome. These were people who looked forward to, they welcomed when the scriptures were going to be preached. They welcomed when the scriptures were going to be opened. And then when we look a little bit further into the verse, we find that it says they received the word with all readiness of mind. So what does it mean to be someone who is of a ready mind? And there's a good opportunity for us to get a cross-reference on this and to get an idea because basically the idea that's involved in the word is that of being willing. So over in the book of 2 Corinthians, I want to turn to chapter number 8 of 2 Corinthians and read a couple of verses because these are really good ones to use because they come from the context of when Paul was talking about the offering for the saints in Jerusalem. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 10, here's what he says. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun not only to do but also to be forward a year ago. Well, so there, that very word is translated to be forward. In other words, here were people, when the appeal was made a year ago, these people were very open to that. They were very willing to respond to the need and to give in the offering. It's translated to be forward there. In verse number 11, it's translated slightly differently. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which he have. So Paul's saying to them this, 
you were willing a year ago when you heard about this. Now it's time to be willing to do it again. That, that word is translated readiness to will in verse number 11. So you get the idea of willingness from this, but I want to call your attention to Acts 17.11 because tucked away there is a little word in connection with readiness. It says all readiness of mind, all willingness, or it could be even translated every. So put all of these thoughts that we've talked about so far together. So here you have a, the, a picture of people who, when Paul went to their service on that Sabbath day and was invited to speak and opened the scripture, they welcomed the preaching of God's word. And not only did they welcome the preaching of God's word, but they had a willing attitude to receive the message that it brought. In fact, not just casual willingness, but Luke says all willingness, that is every willingness. And so putting all this together, you can hardly come up with any other picture than a totally different mindset towards the word of God than what those people were like at Thessalonica. Here was a crowd that was eager. Here was a people that looked forward to the word of God being opened and looked forward to reading God's word and they looked forward to the preaching of God's word. I have to think that's what it is to be a good Berean, and I have to think that sometimes we just don't have that in the church today. If we're not careful, this can overtake all of us in our lives because we kind of begin to look at our devotions, we kind of begin to look at church services as duty. It's always good to have good habits in our lives, that is that is for sure. But sometimes we don't do much by way of preparing our hearts when we go to church on Sunday. We don't think very much about what's going to happen there. We don't pray. We don't uh, seek what the Lord may have for us. We don't ask God's blessing on the person who's going to lead the service. We don't ask God's blessing on the special music. We don't ask God's blessing on the preacher. And in doing this, folks, you know, we really shortchange ourselves. We kind of betray the fact that we're in a bit of a rut, that sometimes just like with our Bible reading every day, it's it's like checking something off your duty roster for the day. It's it's good to have habits. It's good to have things that we are ingrained in our lives as something that we ought to do. But our heart needs to be in the thing. And that's the way it was with these Bereans. When they came to church, they, they were fired up. They were ready. They were looking forward to what God had for them out of the word. I want to challenge me. I want to challenge you. That's the way we need to be. It's the way we need to be when we open our Bibles and our personal worship. It's the way we need to be when we bring our Bibles to church. That's what it is to be a good Berean, to be eager, to be looking forward to what God has for us each time we sit under the hearing of his word. Well, we move on because not only were these eager people, but they were diligent people. You see, something that we have to realize is, is that when Paul came to Berea, it is true that his message was new. How was it new? Well, this is what we get in verse 3 when we see what he presented in Thessalonica. And when we see what he presented in Thessalonica, what we're being told here is this is what his usual custom was. We all know that Paul would go first to the synagogue, just like he says in Romans, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he would go to the synagogue. Now, when he went to the synagogue, what did he do? Well, he was a Bible preacher. He, he, he was expounding the scripture. We find this in verse 11 that he reasoned with them, the end of verse 2, out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Well, once again, you realize that this was the stumbling block for a lot of the Jews. They were looking for a Messiah. 
who was going to drive the Romans out. They were looking for a king. They were looking for the glories of the kingdom as it was described in the Old Testament. And they had very little concept of any idea about a Messiah who would come and need to die on the cross for our sins. They didn't quite capture that. And so when Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the preaching of the cross to the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block. And so Paul was, in, in fact, presenting something of a new message. And not only was he presenting the idea that the Messiah needed to come, needed to suffer and die for our sins uh, on the cross, but he was also making the claim that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So balance is required here because on the one hand, here were, here were people who were super eager. They anticipated the blessing of God's word. But that day when they came to church, so to speak, they heard something that was new. Now, what do you do in a case like that? Well, you exercise diligence. You search the scripture. You determine for, your, for yourself with the leadership of the Holy Spirit whether those things are so. And this was the way the Bereans were. Now, folks, I have to believe that this was something that really set the Bereans apart. I can't help but think of the phrase that Ronald Reagan made so popular. Of course, it's been a number of years ago, but a lot of you will remember this. When Ronald Reagan was involved with negotiating with the Soviets over the uh, strategic arms reduction talks, uh, the START, so-called START talks, um, he 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 wanted to evidence a willingness to work with the Russians. You have to do that if you're going to negotiate and if you're going to work with people. On the other hand, you remember what his slogan was, trust but verify. That's the way these Bereans were. They were looking forward to what Paul had to say. They were open to what Paul had to say. The preaching of the scriptures was something they were enthusiastic and eager about, but they were also diligent in the sense that they searched the scriptures to see whether those things were so when they heard something that was perhaps new or maybe they hadn't heard before. That was the case here. So these people were searching the scriptures to see whether those things were so. So it, it bespeaks a habit that was in their life, not just a one-time thing. That's another thing that maybe we wouldn't necessarily see when we first look at this. Um, our, our, it's, it's translated in verse 11 that they searched. It sounds like a simple past tense. In reality, in the Greek, it's a present tense, which means that this, this sort of evidenced a habit that was theirs. In other words, they went on searching the scriptures. It wasn't just that, that day at church, but here were people who went home and determined to look into the scripture to see whether what Paul was saying was true or not. They searched the scriptures, it says. And what does it mean to search the scriptures anyway? Well, this is a word that can actually be used in a legal context if you're trying to, to weigh the validity of evidence. Here's a good cross-reference for us. Turn on over in your Bible just a few pages to Acts chapter 25. And if you find that place, let me set the context for you, because in Acts 25, what's going on there is Paul has appealed to Caesar. Uh, he hasn't had much success with Felix, and now he's been handed off, so to speak, to Festus. Uh, Festus kind of stonewalls just a little bit too. He's not real eager. He wants to appease the Jews. And so Paul Paul finally realizes that he's probably not going to receive any real justice at the hands of Festus either. So he appeals to Caesar. Now this puts Festus in a little bit of a bind because at this point, Festus is thinking to himself, oh boy, 
I can sense that this guy's innocent. What in the world? He's appealed to Caesar now. What am I going to send insofar as the accusations and the evidence? He's just going to see this as a bunch of squabbling over Jewish religious points. And so he's he's delighted when he has a visit from King Agrippa because King Agrippa has greater familiarity with these things. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 26, where Felix, or Festus rather, is actually confessing to Agrippa, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord, wherefore I have brought him forth before you, and especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination, look at that word examination, that after examination had, I might have somewhat to write. It's translated examination there, the same word that we have search in Acts 17.11. What's it mean? It means that he wanted Agrippa to listen to the accusations against Paul. Then he was going to give Paul an opportunity to speak for himself, and Agrippa was going to weigh what he heard, weigh on the one hand what the Jews had to say, weigh on the other hand what Paul had to say, and make some sort of determination and recommendation to give to Festus that he would have something to send along with Paul when Caesar reviewed his case. So you see how the word can actually be used with a kind of a technical legal flavor to weigh evidence. Well, this is what the Bereans were doing. They were eager about Paul's message. They wanted to hear what he had to say, but at the same point, they realized that they had a responsibility to weigh that against the scripture itself to determine whether the things that Paul was saying were true or not. Beloved, it's no wonder that the Bible tells us that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they were willing to search the scriptures. They went on searching the scriptures. They took their Bibles home. They looked to see what the Bible had to say. They weren't willing to say, wow, you know, today we had a great message at church. We had an impressive speaker. And I find that so many times that's the case. I mean, we're, we're, whether it's an impressive speaker who comes for the first time or whether it's just the pastor from Sunday to Sunday, so often we're willing just to let the preacher do the work for us. We think, well, that's his job. He's the preacher. He's supposed to study. He's supposed to do all those things, and so I just I just show up. I just listen. No, beloved, you know, Paul wrote to Timothy when he was writing to his protege and encouraging about his him not just about his professional, that is his ministerial life, but about his personal walk with the Lord. And he said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Each of us should be a student of the scriptures. It's not enough for someone to do that for us. We need to do that for ourselves. So what do you have? Two things so far. What is it to be a good Berean? Eager folks, folks that were really interested in and and looking forward to hearing the word of God, but diligent folks, folks that, that didn't just take someone's word for it. They compared it to the scripture and turned it over in their minds, and turned over the pages of their Bibles as well to be certain that what they were hearing was in fact biblical. Let's come to the third thought. We're not going to take a lot of time for this, but I also find consistency in the verse. So we're going to have three things. What is it to be a good Berean? Eager, number one. Eager with regard to the scripture. Enthusiastic about it. What is it secondly? Diligent. We're willing to search the scriptures and do that as a, as a matter of course, as a habit of life. That's something that's ingrained into us. We don't just let other people do our work for us. Thirdly, consistent. Where do we see that in the verse? 
Well, it says they searched the scriptures daily. Daily. So what does this tell me? This tells me that this is, wasn't a one-off. This wasn't just something they did because on this particular occasion they heard a guest speaker and the message was a little different than what they'd heard before. No, this was something that was a part of their lives. They were consistent about this. Beloved, let me appeal to you because... Over the years, I've found something to be true in my life, and I've certainly seen it in the lives of many believers, that the devil can use discouragement. Let's say maybe we feel like we've drifted off a little bit from the Lord, and we haven't been as consistent about our walk as we really should have been. And so someone comes and preaches, or the Spirit of God otherwise convicts us, and we say, you know, I really need to be reading my Bible. I really need to be having my devotions. Or someone makes an appeal about, have you read the entire Bible through? And, and we decide, bah, tomorrow we get up and we're going to read the Bible for half an hour. We're going to read the Bible for an hour. Well, that's wonderful, but in point of fact, you probably won't keep that up. You'll probably do something like that a day or two, and the other exigencies of life will bear in upon you and you'll stop doing that and you'll be discouraged then because <clears throat> you made this you, you made this commitment that you were going to get back to reading your Bible. You're going to get back to having your devotions and now you haven't done that. You've missed a day or two and the devil uses that to discourage us and we just kind of become weary with well-doing and we quit again. You're far better off and I certainly don't want to lowball. I don't want to have unduly low expectations. But I'll tell you something. You're far better off to read the Bible 10 minutes a day and pray 5 minutes a day and start off with something that's manageable, something that you can do. Because once you do this, you'll find that your appetite for it is increased and you'll have a desire to add more to that. So you won't just stay there. You'll try to add to that. But one fellow comes along and decides he's going to do an hour and does that for two or three days and quits. What good does that do? You're far better off to read the Bible 10 minutes a day, pray five minutes a day, and build from there. Because the only thing that really makes us solid Christians is to be consistent in our walk with the Lord each day. So let me encourage you about this. This is a real challenge to me when I think about the coronavirus, or I think about any time, really, because... Each of us needs to be good Bereans. Each of us needs to have an attitude towards the Bible that someone could describe as eager, that someone could describe as diligent, that someone could describe as consistent. And I'm going to tell you something. If you will do this, I think I can promise you that the effects of this will be noticeable, if not dramatic, in your life. Where do we see this? Well, just have a look down in your in your text here, and you'll see. Look at the comparison between what happened in Thessalonica and what happened in Berea. So in verse 4, when it describes what happened in Thessalonica, where they were not like the Bereans, it says there, some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But when you look across the page and compare that to verse number 10 and verse 11 and finally verse 12, look what it says the comparison is. Therefore many of them, not some, many, therefore many of them believed also of honorable women which were Greeks and of the men, not a few. Do you see the difference that being a good Berean made? It made a huge difference. The, the, the effects and the blessings that God was able to pour out in that place were 
dramatic as opposed to what took place at Thessalonica. I want to close the message today by telling you a little story. As I think about Acts 17.11, I, I think back to graduate school, and I think back to the professor there that I would have to say, I mean, I had many good professors, but I would have to say when I think of Stuart Custer that he was probably the most eager and dedicated and passionate student of the scriptures that I have ever met. And I got to thinking about the story of his conversion. It so happens that when he was a young man, still in youth, he had five very severe bouts with rheumatic fever. The last bout was bad enough that it affected his heart and there was some concern that he might not live. He did recover and thank God for that because God obviously had much that he wanted to use him to do. But his recovery was long. You talk about having a lot of time on your hands. With the coronavirus, you haven't seen anything yet. He was confined to his bed for a year and was an additional four years before he could actually go back to school. Well, it was during this time that his grandmother gave him a copy of the Bible. It's just a, a regular Bible, not even a study Bible, just a regular, what we would call a text Bible. You, you just open it, no study aids. You might have some cross-references or something like that, but not like a Schofield reference Bible, not with aids and study helps, just a straight text Bible. He began to read. He said that as he began to read, he noticed in the Old Testament, of course, you can hardly miss it. When you get to Genesis, there's the fall and then the promised Redeemer. And all through the unfolding in prophecies of the Old Testament, there's more about this coming Redeemer. And he said when he got to the, to the Gospels, he saw that that person was Jesus Christ. Then he got to the book of Acts and saw the apostles preaching the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he hit the book of Romans. The book of Romans with its... its, its most detailed description that Paul wrote in the New Testament of the gospel. You start hitting verses like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You get to chapter 7, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he said he found his answer in the very next verse in chapter 7, that I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer is Jesus, and he realized this, and the Spirit of God spoke to his heart. He slipped out of his bed, knelt beside it, and prayed to receive Christ as his personal Savior. I want him to tell us in his own words what happened next. Here's what he writes. From that day, January 6, 1946, to the present. Now, when he says the present, that was the year 2000, because that was when he was writing this particular book. From that day, January 9, 1946, to the present. I have searched the scriptures with a consuming passion. It has brought blessing and joy inexpressible. Well, I happen to have a personally autographed copy of his commentary on Acts. And while I was thinking about Acts 17.11, I pulled it down and I refreshed myself on his story of conversion. But my eye was really drawn to the fact that he, the message that he, he wrote when he autographed the book to me. Here's what it said. To my dear friend Tom Coleman, and of course it's signed Stuart Custer, and then under it the verse that he chose to write was Acts 17.11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, 
in that they receive the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. You see, beloved, I'm not trying to downplay at all the power of God's word when we hear it preached. But we have to always remember it's not so much the man as it is the word itself and the power of the word as the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts. And you can be in church and you can get a great blessing from listening to the message, but you are not diminished when you read the Bible at home. You can open the Bible and God can speak to your heart at home, just as it produced a dramatic effect in the life of Stuart Custer. As I say, I, no one has made a greater impression on me in all my years since of devotion and diligence to the scriptures. What about it? Let's be thinking about how we can be good Bereans. Let's be thinking about what it is to be a good Berean. It all has to do with our attitude, our approach to the scripture. Are we eager? Are we diligent or just sort of lackluster and loosely committed? And are we consistent? Because you can see from the text the effects of being a good Berean. The word of God is transformative. They will be dramatic in my life and they will be dramatic in yours. May the Lord bless each of you, and let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for the privilege that we've had today of looking into the scripture. I pray that you'll make the few thoughts that I've tried to share with folks today a blessing to them, and I pray that as we continue on now, Lord, through this national trial, and for whatever it may be of a trial uh, to us personally this coronavirus time, I pray that we will find some very special times with you and that you will use your word uh, in our lives, not just now, but we will remember the lessons that we will always be good Bereans. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.